Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Hello and welcome to Engage for Success Radio and show number 436 in our weekly series. Engage for Success is a not-for-profit movement and the UK's leading voice on the topic of employee engagement. We're out there raising awareness and running events through our area networks around the country and our topic and sector-specific thought and action groups are developing research, publishing case studies and shining a light on great practice. You can visit engageforsuccess.org to learn more and sign up for our weekly newsletter uh, to make sure you'll never miss out on any of the free resources, events and updates that are on offer there. I'm Andy Gorham, your host for today's show and founder of BizJuicer, a consultancy that helps companies connect their purpose and proposition to their people, creating stickier, more successful businesses from the inside out. Now then, what makes a good, no, great place to work? There are hundreds of different answers that can be found on the internet just by Googling that very question. The suggestions it offers up range from a lot of stuff-based things, as I would call it, like those with a purely financial focus, such as paying a living wage, which is hardly inspirational, and giving all employees stock options, which is likely to be improbable in many cases, to offering employees healthy food and drink options, providing areas where their employees can rest and recuperate after a hard day, or providing them with a gym so that they can stay healthy. And I'm sure all of these things are fantastic. But I don't know too many businesses that can do all of these things. And I think a truly great place to work should be based on more than shiny facilities and stock options. And today, I'm joined by Fiona Stevens, the HR Director, and Caroline O'Connor, CEO from Migrant Help, who have recently been embarking on a program of change within the business with a real focus on how Migrant Help can become a great place to work. So it's a great opportunity to speak to them and get their take on this question. What does a great place to work look like? And for the more observant of you, how does the title of this episode, Distancing, Donuts and Development, relate to all of that? Well, that's enough from me. Let's hear from them. Welcome to the show, Fiona and Caroline. Hi, thank you. Hi, Andy. <laughs> thank you for being here, guys. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I've got a feeling this is going to smack the Engage for Success sweet spot right in the bullseye. Uh, We love hearing about real, authentic and practical ways to cultivate uh, an engaging place to work. And I think you might be right on it. But before we start, Caroline, maybe I could come to you. Can I just ask you to tell us all a little bit about Migrant Help, what it does and your role within it? Sure, Andy. Thank you. Migrant Help's a UK-wide charity, and we've been around for nearly 60 years. We directly support asylum seekers, refugees, survivors of modern slavery, and EU residents in the UK, and we help them navigate the government system, how they get support in, in their positions in the UK, and how they move beyond the decisions of the government. I'm the CEO for Migrant Help, and I look after around 500 staff and subcontractors, and they, in turn, look after about 80,000 clients. Wow. I mean, the scale of it is is huge. And I mean, was there ever more focus on this area right now in in the world? Uh, A shocking stuff going on, but great to hear that there's people like you in the background trying to help. And and Fiona, what's 
what's your role and how did you end up uh, joining Migrant Help? Hi, yeah, well, um, I um, am the HR director and I joined Migrant Help in September 2019, um, pre-COVID. It feels like the world before and the world after pre-COVID. Um, and at that time, HR had been outsourced. Um, and the decision was made following the uh, the allocation, that's not the correct word, of, of a big contract um, what, that Caroline's mentioned um, for uh, supporting uh, asylum seekers um, to bring it back in-house to try and, and make it more um, integrated with the organisation. So in doing that, they needed to bring uh, staff in to do it. So I was, I was brought in and then I've managed the integration back into the, uh, back into the business and then started to create and develop and evolve the people strategy. So, um, so that's that's kind of when I that's when I came. And my background is civil service, NHS, um, so big sort of public sector organisations. I mean, what a time to join as well. Um, oh, well, yeah, but you don't realise that at the time. But the benefit of hindsight, goodness gracious, it was a very interesting time to join. Out of a frying pan into several more frying pans over the last sort of couple of yes. years, I'm sure. Um, Indeed. But there's been there's been so much change, hasn't there? I mean, Caroline, we've all been dealing with a lot of change to our business worlds over the past couple of years. And thinking about this this culture change that you guys have been embarking on or trying what has it been the pandemic that was the catalyst for that journey that you that you're on or or was it something that happened during that period of time can you can you maybe take us through what happened and how that's impacted your plans sure it ha- actually happened just before the pandemic okay. i've been the coo for three years and i'm really well suited for that behind the scenes keep things running smoothly And then I stepped up into the CEO role. One month after being appointed, the pandemic and lockdown happens. Now, I'm not your typical CEO. I'm quite an introverted person. I don't like to be the center of attention. I just like to get things done. And I'm really good at getting things done. And suddenly, I needed to lead a pretty big organization in a really strange new world. And not only didn't I know what I was doing in this strange new world, no one did. Um, But funnily enough, I was exactly the right person. Um, With the pandemic, we needed gentleness and we needed care. We needed somebody who was strong and could make decisions, but confident enough to pause, think about what was going on and say, actually, I don't know, and say, I don't know to the whole organization. Let's think about this and look at it Um, and to acknowledge that we were all really afraid but we had to let our compassion for our clients and for our staff to take over. So we kept operating, but we did did it really differently and we adapted and adjusted throughout. Is that sort of mindful leadership? I mean, it couldn't perhaps have been better placed or allocated at, at that time. Uh, very, very much serendipity in play there, it sounds like to me at least, um, when you're dealing with that. what you're dealing with, right? And I mean... How much of a challenge was that for you, Caroline? You say you like to go in the limelight, and yet then you're thrust into a place where it needed that visible leadership. Um, just just talk us through what that was like. In a funny way, because we were locked down, it was easier. So right. for someone who didn't like the limelight, I was behind a screen and not in front of 500 people that 
some organizations probably had big meetings um, to talk about what they were going to do. <clears throat> so it, it, in some ways it suited my style, um, but it suited the, the fear and uncertainty that we were all thinking. So there was no bluster. And, and um, that's, that was exactly, I think, the, the person that the organization needed to hear from at the time. Mm-hmm. And how have the employees responded to, to, to that style of leadership? Really well. And I think yeah. because we work in a charity, you attract a certain sort of people mm. who, who want to be focused on um, emotional intelligence and support and not just of clients but of colleagues as well. Um, so people were were right on board with it. And one of the first things I said to the team was let our compassion always outweigh our fear. And I think that resonated with staff, that they knew they were afraid, and that was really okay to be afraid, but that we had to keep going. And lots of organizations had to shut their doors or go wholly remote or pull back on the services. And we had to go more remote than we did before, but we didn't furlough swathes of people, and we kept our telephone lines operating, our face-to-face operating to a lesser degree, and kept servicing more and more clients over the past mm. two years. So it's been amazing. Mm. Brilliant. Yours is not a, yours is not an industry you can just turn off, is it? it you can't <laughs> no. sort of park the bus and, and put the keys on the shelf and wait for a couple of years for everything to come back. I mean, it's a constant, right? So, well, mm. that's a very, and I, I like that I love that, in fact, that whole piece around that more open, vulnerable uh, type of leadership that couldn't have been better placed at that time. Uh, mm-hmm. Fantastic stuff. And Fiona, what about, what about you? Where did, where did this change journey start for you? I've, <laughs> I'm not trying to sort of lighten it completely, Beer, but I've heard something about a donut. Now, how on earth does a donut influence how you approach creating a great place to work? Well, it's... Um... It, I took the, the Engage for Success model, which you will be hugely familiar with, no doubt. It's a great and, model. And it's a lovely it model. Is, <laughs> do you know what? It is a great model. And why create something when you've got something that's been proved time and time again that works? So I'm a great, I'm a, to quote Tom Peters, steal with pride. So I thought, yeah, we'll use that as the model we want to do. Um, and I, I, I was drawing it all out on a, a whiteboard and looking at what, how we could all we could link it all together, um, and then how could we represent it? I wanted it not to look like pillars because we talk about the four enablers, the four pillars, um, yeah. and I wanted to look at a bit different. So over time, and as we were working with it, and as we were starting to roll bits out, it sort of morphed and it became well, it, it became a circle with a hole in the middle, and it was like, oh, that looks just like a donut. So, um, and literally, that, that's what it's referred to now. So we talk about a great place to work, um, and the four the four quadrants of the donut are um, are the four pillars, just represented slightly differently. And when we when we do induction and when we've been doing management training, it gets referred to as the donut. So it's kind of the working title now. So um, so that's where the donut comes in. Comes in. It's basically a, a, the Engage for Success model. We're big fans of mag- mm-hmm. we're big fans of people magpieing stuff. I mean, that's that's the whole well, reason indeed. that stuff's yeah. there, you know. But I think it's great that you make it sound like your own. Um, that that well, way, I think it has tend to, be... to stick a bit more, don't they? Well, indeed, it has to be. It has to be something that people can relate to. It has to be in 
migrant help speak um, and it has to be recognised and become part of of kind of just what migrant help's all about and most people can identify with donuts some more than others I speak from personal experience so yeah a donut is um is good it works yeah I'm, tr- I'm trying to manage my relationship with donuts um, <laughs> so uh, whilst it's there we can't escape it in today's I, I shall park it or else I shall end up leaving yeah, my post do. Uh, and finding something sugary to snack on. So within the within the four quadrants of of the donut, was there yeah. a particular place you had to start? I mean, traditionally you might start with something like strategic narrative. Maybe is that is that where you started, or did you take a different view? Um, well, we you're right. We had to start somewhere. Um, and um, when I came in, um, the, the majority of the, the the HR staff, the people staff, was transactional because that had been that's been what that's what had been outsourced. So we had to get that mm-hmm. right. But mm. um, on my very first week, I attended a workshop up in London, and for about six or seven months preceding my arrival, um, the organisation as a whole had been reviewing and, and coming up with and creating their new strategy. So. Um, it, it seemed absolutely sensible to start with strategic narrative, given that we had a new, brand new strategy, um, and one of the underpinning um, sort of strategic themes um, underneath it all was the the people bit, and that's what became a great place to work in support of the the strategic objectives. So yes, that's where we started. Um, and but, within within that narrative, Fiona, what what was the vision that you and Caroline had for what a great place to work looked and felt like? Um, well, first of all, it wasn't just Caroline and I's vision. We, we cre- I came up with a model, and then I sort of did a first cut um, sort of uh, activity, na- a chunky bit around each of the, the quadrants of the donut. Um, and then we tried to tackle it holistically. There were certain activities that we wanted to do, but they all had to be seen to be connecting and contributing to the the, the greater whole, if you like. So mm. if the, the first one and, and the overarching was just to, engage, uh, to increase engagement, to actually start having meaningful dialogue with our, with our people and, and get their input and take on stuff. Um, and interestingly, the, Lockdown made that a lot easier, to be honest with you, because we had to just start asking them right away. So instead of having long lead-in times and great um, great plans of how we were going to implement staff surveys and stuff, we literally just pushed the button and we said, right, this is what we're going to do. Let's have a look at it and then check and adjust and check and adjust as we go along. Um, so that's kind of what we did. Because <laughs> it didn't I think work, that... we just changed it. Well, I think that agile approach has been a common story, hasn't it, over the last sort of two two years? We've we've had to sort of get off the pot a bit and uh, yeah. and, and get on with some things. And I think that kind of action compared and and uh, aligns to the the sort of leadership style that Caroline has alluded to before. I think again, it just reinforces how timely this whole thing was. Um, when you were pulling this stuff together. What's been the kind of unifying, consolidating, if you like, anchor point for the, yeah. for the business? What, what's what's been running through the whole the, the whole scheme for you? Normally, there's a business values, sort of anchor point, right? Okay. Be the values, the values of the organisation. They were there anyway, and they were used during recruitment, but then um, they, they were sort of dissipated. So we tried to very 
very um, methodically put them at the centre of everything that we did, and we refer back to them a lot. So we've we've taken it just from recruitment and moved it into pretty much everything we do as an organisation. And, and Caroline, what importance do you place uh, on the values from how you talk and, and the, the actions of the leadership team? What, what's going on? What, what would we see if we were to sort of take a sneak peek inside Migrant Help? It's really important we lift them because values are often agreed and stuck in a door somewhere and you trot them yeah. out for um, inspections or investors and in, in people or diversity. Um, but we really live them, so we talk about them regularly. We use a recognition system to thank staff and you link the thank you to the value that it represents so people are seeing it repeatedly. Um, People know what the values are and they start with protection, with safeguarding of our clients and our staff. And then we talk about partnership, equality and diversity, innovation and excellence. So it rolls off people's tongues. It's not an alien concept. When we do annual appraisals with staff, we have to each ourselves and the staff we're appraising um, give an example of how they've lived each of the values of the organization and we talk about them and we score ourselves on them. Um, we talk about it at interview. So there are specific questions mm-hmm. that we'll ask that hit on the different values to ensure the people who join us believe in these things, that they're as important to them as they are to us. And that that tells us that they'll work in the way and make decisions in the way that we believe are are right and in the best interest of staff and clients. And how easy has, has the, I guess, adoption, transfer of ownership for the values and behaviours been with uh, your employees? Has it been a, a very slow burn or is it something they were really eager to sort of get on with and, and drive? What, what's been the story there? I, I think staff have been really eager to do it because it's something they believe in. We have a hugely diverse workforce anyway because yeah. people who have lived experience want to come work with us um, and give the same leg up and opportunity to the next people coming across. Um, so our, our staff believe in equality and diversity and we listen to their voices and try and build that into what we're doing. Um, we recognize that we can't do this kind of work alone. So staff are quite used to working with other organizations in the sector and getting support from other people because it's a complex client base when you've got assignment seekers from around the world. Um, We need to be innovative, especially in the time of COVID. So people were very primed to look at how we could do things differently without abandoning our clients throughout throughout it all and because people are so passionate about the work they do um Mm. you know lots of charity causes aren't always popular and that's where the need is that the people drawn to our cause are really committed to it so excellence comes naturally they're always trying to see what what they can do for people who who virtually have nothing so I, i think it was an easy sell I mean, which, which, which is great. I mean, I think that's a sign of a good set of values. If, <laughs> if they really end up driving the employees and the same ones drive um, the business, then, then that's, that's a great combination, right? That's a great combination. Yeah. Fiona, when you think about the values, I mean, do you, I mean, it's interesting you guys talk about the number of partners that you've got. 
how how do the values play a role in the partnership work that, that you do and how overt are your values to your i guess your your partners and clients i would just, i i um i think they're very overt i think i mean we obviously have contractual relationships with a number of them um and it I would. I don't get involved in that side of stuff, but I would imagine they're fairly out there and, and up there in terms of what we're trying to achieve. Particularly if we have to set up um, joint approaches to certain things, you know, and um, mm. ask their input to develop joint projects and stuff. So I think it's it's evident from how we interact with people. But equally, I would imagine it's all over all the the, the sort of the documentation type sort of contract stuff that we have. Yeah, I'm just interested to sort of see how deep it goes. Sorry, Caroline, carry on. It's who we picked for partners, too. We didn't pick partners without thinking about where their values lied. So we subcontracted a telephone centre, and it was really important. It was somebody that had a charitable ethos and believed, like we do, that you don't cut somebody off on the phone line because their time is up but yeah. that they're going to need support as long as they need support. And because we were really selective about who we work with, um, their values naturally aligned with us. And then we share what our values are. We talk about what the values are. Um, but they were at the starting point that they were going to be lined up with us in the first place. I mean, I think that's the, that's the difference between success and failure with these things. Is If it's just a veneer, that's as long as it'll last. It starts to peel mm. off, I think, you know, yeah. showing they're important. Talking like you are about, you know, aligning partners to it, you know, that's, that's when it really, to everybody who deals with them, and especially the employees, they can see the importance and therefore, therefore, therefore it's lived, right? Therefore, it, it's mm. a thing we have to do. In terms of a more practical sense of this um, change journey that you were on fiona what what are some of the practical things you've done in terms of delivering this vision of a great place to work are there any Um, sort of standout things um that you'd want to share with us um i think for me the standout thing is and it it, amongst many but it is the standout thing is is the the launch and delivery of the first phase of the leadership academy so we um we recognize that to a certain extent what Caroline and I say and do is important, but we can't reach and touch everybody on a daily basis within the organization. Therefore, it's really, really important that all our managers, supervisors, and leaders are aligned and, and get it and are on the same page and are all speaking the same sort of language. So we rolled out a huge, um, well, leadership academy. So it lasted... Um, well, we've just come to the end of phase one, so it's been the whole of last financial year. It's modular in approach, and every single first-line supervisor and every management layer above that, including us, have gone through extensive training um, and facilitated development program, um, which has been a huge investment in time and obviously money, but has, has I, I think, really, really impacted and driven forward a lot of the stuff that we're trying to do within the organisation. Um, so for me, that's that's been the that's been the singular impactful thing that we've done. And as I say, the work that we did as a team, um, as a senior management team, we spent a lot of time working with a coach, and we then got them to actually deliver, design, co-design, and deliver the programme to the rest of the organisation. So you've got that congruence. 
um, of language and approach, and also that, that it helps to embed the strategic narrative, I think, because they can directly relate back to well, when we did this exercise with the senior team, this is what came out, this is what, what the output was, and actually look at that, that aligns with what you guys have just done. So um, for me, that was, that was fantastic, really. <laughs> and just digging into that a little bit more deeply, what, what's been some of the positive impact of, of that kind of initiative? What, what have you seen happen within the organization and what are some of the things it may have led to or changes? Or, or, or I'm just interested to sort of see the impact of things. So I think these sort of academies are absolutely brilliant, um, but they're all very different. Obviously, each organization has got its own challenges and its own needs. I'm interested to understand what specific impacts you've, you've seen from it that makes you think, yeah, this has been like the standout piece for us at this point um, well I'll, I'll quickly give you mine and then I'll hand over to Caroline because I'm sure she's got um, several okay. as well for me, it's, for me it's the um, it's when you hear people talk about how they do management, how they do leadership and appreciating that they can choose what sort of leader they want to be and that what and how they do stuff directly impacts on their team and nothing they do is ever done in isolation because people are watching you whether you think they are or not um, and an actual fact that um, and by opening them up to options and at almost the range of possibilities that they can then consider and choose the approach that they wish to take and although they have a natural preference it doesn't mean that that's how they need to behave all the time that they can actually develop and have a range of and different responses depending on the context and the circumstances which they find themselves in. Yeah, for me, you. that's just fabulous. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. And, and how about you, Caroline? I, I agree. Leadership Academy is a game changer for the staff, and I think it helps level the playing field for managers with different experiences and exposures in the career. And they come in and they're given this toolkit that allows them to know how to do um, both the basics and the more advanced management tasks that they need to do and do them consistently across the organization. And the thing that that embedded it in my mind, how important it is, is the people who haven't yet been on it clamoring, saying, when are we going to start the program? When is it going to come to the next level of staff? And you know you're getting it right because... Other colleagues are telling them how good it is and what a difference it makes. Um, so I think that has been, it's been excellent. Um, a huge game, game changer for all of us. And we've done it all remotely over the past mm. year. So we're really looking forward to getting Leadership Academy activities face-to-face in the near future. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's going to add even another layer of color to it. They're just all coming back together and looking at the face-to-face stuff. But I think you're right. When there's internal buzz and people are clamoring to get on the next program, <laughs> I think you've done a pretty good job at that point, right? Because that, yeah. that's a good signal. And I would suspect, I mean, I don't know, but with current world events, any support and positive impact you can have on your people who must be dealing with some horrendous things um, is much needed, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, um, I'm going to ask you both the same question. Um, just 
I'm always interested to sort of see from, from the guys who are out there really doing stuff at this point. Um, if you're generous enough to tell us your story, you're generous enough to leave us with a decent piece of advice um, on, on how to create people's own great places to work. Because it's a topic lots of people talk about, and some never actually get off the plan uh, to, to be delivered. So, Fiona, maybe I can come to you first. What sure. would your one piece of advice be on how people can really start building their own great place to work I, I think the word is start I think you just do it I, 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 you don't need to have a perfect plan you don't need to have everything you don't need to know everything that you're going to do but I think you need to do something and then you monitor it and then you check and adjust and then you layer and you layer stuff on it because you're never going to get a great place to work if you do nothing and just carry on doing what you're doing so um, I would say don't worry about getting it wrong because it doesn't really matter. The fact is, you you won't know it's wrong until you get that feedback, and then you 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 alter your course. Brilliant. And Caroline, what would you say? It's great to have two different types of people, isn't it? It, it is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's about being authentic, be yourself. It's not true that you can fake it till you make it when you're at this level, because um, people think you're, you're playing a part. I can't trust you, and people see through it quickly. So be your own real, true self, and people will trust you because of that. And there speaks a true leader. That's That's wonderful. Um, Absolutely. great advice <laughs> great advice from both of you thank you very much and I love that it proves that regardless of your personality trait authenticity is a truly great leadership trait thank you for that and unbelievably that's about all the time we have for today uh, don't, don't forget to visit engagementsuccess.org to check out the show notes and all our fab free engagement resources where you can download or stream any of the great shows including this one uh, from our archive at your leisure Thanks very much, guys, for sharing your thoughts and insights and giving us a different perspective on the world of work today. Thank you. We'll be back again at the same time next week. I'm Andy Gorham, and thanks for listening to the Engage for Success radio show. Engage for Success radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.